Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 3, and I'm going to preach on that text tonight, the one that you're wearing on your T-shirt if you were out today, and uh, put it on, we're out at the activity or whatever. Uh, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down, and uh, now let's see, I, I didn't didn't mark it in my Bible, and I was looking at it there in my wrote notes, so let me get, find Now I'm nervous. I can't find it, and I don't know why. Uh, Nehemiah, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. There it is. Found it. Nehemiah chapter uh, 6 and uh, verse 3, uh, the story about uh, Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, verse 2, saying, Come, let us meet together uh, in some one uh, of the villages in the plain of Ono, uh, but they thought to do me mischief. And uh, Nehemiah sent messenger. Nehemiah says, and I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down unto you? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. Thank you that we have a copy of your word in our hands today. We're able to read it and let it guide our lives. We pray that you'd help us to do that. Give power, Holy Spirit, speak to hearts while I speak to ears. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if you, we are here at the National Young Fundamentalist Conference, uh, I'm assuming, and in this message I'm preaching a little bit different than I do sometimes, but I'm kind of assuming that you're on the wall. As far as that goes, we can't say stay on the wall if you're not on the wall. Uh, you know, and so I'm going to preach to those of you tonight uh, that you'd say, Brother Jorgensen, I'm on the wall of fundamentalism. I'm uh, on the wall of trying to build a soul-winning church. I, I want God to use me in my life, and I want to challenge you tonight to stay on the wall and uh, say with Nehemiah uh, that your life would be a testimony, what you had on your T-shirt today, that I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. I'm assuming that you're on the wall, that you're an independent, fundamental, premillennial, pre-tribulation, King James, soul-winning, separated, independent Baptist. Uh, we're here at the National Young Fundamentalist Conference, and uh, I'm assuming that you're fundamentalist. Somebody says, well, Brother Jorgensen, why in the world do you call it a Young Fundamentalist Conference? Because the conference is for young fundamentalists. And uh, some crowd, some of our crowd, or used to be crowd, is saying, well, you know, that word fundamentalist, you're not supposed to really use that anymore. It's not really a popular word, and it doesn't have good connotations sometimes. Look, I am a fundamentalist. And I get, you say, well, Brother Jordan, you mean this is, yep, this is a National Young Fundamentalist Conference. We figure you're fundamentalists. And you say, well, again, doesn't have a good connotation. I, I just don't think, well, it's got a good connotation when I think of it. And I think of a fundamentalist. I think of uh, Jesus. I think of John the Baptist. I think of my mother. I think of Lee Robertson. I think of John Rice. I think of Jack Hiles. I think of Lester Roloff. I think of Jeff Fugit. I think of some pastors like Brother Goddard and your pastor. I, I mean, I think fundamentalist, boy, that sounds pretty good to me. I don't know what's wrong with the word. I think if somebody that's out winning souls, somebody that's preaching hell is hot, somebody that's preaching heaven is real, and streets of gold, and it's a thing to be gained and not to be shunned, I think if somebody that's running buses, I think if somebody that's loving people, I think, man, that's a fundamentalist. Some of the evangelical crowd, I mean, they're not fundamentalists. Say, well, they believe right on salvation. Well, you've got to be more than right on salvation if you're going to be a fundamentalist. 
I'm glad for everybody that's right on salvation. I'm glad for everybody that's going to heaven, but they're not all fundamentalists. And uh, I'm glad for, you know, whatever. And uh, somebody says, uh, you know, well, a fundamentalist, that's anybody who believes the basic fundamentals of the Christian faith. Deity of Christ, virgin birth, blood atonement. I mean, Catholics would say they believe that so far. Deity of Christ, virgin birth, blood atonement. Now, their interpretation of the atonement might be a little different than the Bible. And uh, certainly, I think you've got to believe the fundamentals of the faith uh, and that kind of thing in terms of the basic essentials of the gospel if you're going to be a fundamentalist. But if you're going to be a fundamentalist, you got to, I mean, it's more than that. Brother Howe said in his book, if you're going to be a fundamentalist, not only do you have to believe those fundamentals, you've got to separate from people that don't. Part of being a fundamentalist is being a, is being a separatist. And I want to challenge you tonight to not come down off the wall of fundamentalism in this country. I'm tired of having young people go through Christian schools and grade schools and high schools and Bible colleges like this one. And then you find them 10, 20, 30 years later and they're not, I mean, they're in some Bible church. You say, well, they're saved people in the Bible churches and that's good. I'm glad for them. But they're not fundamentalists. I mean, you say, well, you'll see him in heaven. Sure, and I'll, I'll be glad to greet him in heaven. But that doesn't make them fundamentalists. Don't come down from the walls that God is, that you've been on, that you're standing on. Don't separate from the, you know, the old-fashioned, fundamental Baptist crowd. Don't ever come down. When it comes fundamentalists, I talked about somebody that's right on the doctrines. Don't ever leave the doctrines of the Word of God. I mean, it comes, don't let anybody talk you out of the deity of Christ or the virgin birth or the blood atonement or the premillennial faith or the pre-tribulation coming of Christ. Hey, that's part of being a fundamentalist. Somebody says, well, you know, I don't know, I think he's coming, but who knows when. Maybe it's just going to all go on to the end. We'll have a general judgment, general resurrection, all that kind of stuff. That's not right. That isn't Bible. I'm looking for the imminent appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As Paul wrote to Titus that he's supposed to live looking for the return of Christ. The only way he can do that is if he's come before the, before the tribulation. Otherwise, you've got to be looking for the tribulation. I'm looking for the return of Christ. And I was glad when I walked away from my mother's grave and my dad's grave that I thought, you know, before I get back in the car to drive away from here, Jesus could come with a trumpet sound, and I'd be, we'd have the rapture, we'd all go up, and we'd be reunited in heaven. I want to, you know, I don't let people talk, and I'm preaching to the young people, I'm preaching to old people, I think I'm preaching what God wanted me to preach tonight. It's not a message that says, give your life to God, it's a message that says, keep giving your life to God. And keep giving your life to the fundamentals of the faith. Don't leave the basic doctrines. Don't leave your King James Bible. Say, Brother George, you're supposed to call it a version. I, now, I understand. I went to seminary, all that stuff. understand the technical use of the word Bible version, kind of meaning translation. But I don't know. It's my Bible. You know, sometimes I have a lot of different Bibles. They're all King James have a lot of different Bibles. I have my teaching Bible that I use in my classrooms. I have a chapel Bible. I have a preaching Bible I use around the country a lot. I have a red Bible, my ordination Bible. 
have a, you know, have a, but, and, uh, I, but every one is a King James Bible. And uh, I, just, I don't even like call it King James Version. Not, I mean, there are no other versions that are the right Bible. So, well, it's just a little bit different. Yeah, but it's different. Things that are different are not the same. I mean, you know, it's pretty simple. The longer I live, the more I believe that God preserved His Word in the King James Bible. And, uh, you know, you, you just live with that. I mean, it's got be, God, God wants us to have His Word somewhere. Where is it? Whatever you happen to think, and you happen to think, and you happen to think, and you, and you, and these 16, you figure out which one's the best version. Which one has the words of Christ in it? Which one has God's Word in it? No, God preserved His Word for us in the King James Bible. You don't need to turn aside from that. Say, well, I don't understand it all. Well, you know, that's not because it's written above your head. Well, I understand it's written, what, 8th grade level, something like that? But maybe above your head. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, don't leave. If you're going to stay on the wall. So, well, just turn aside from this copy of the Word of God. Get into something else. It's not. People will think you're more contemporary. You're not like. What's wrong with being that old crowd? What's wrong with being the traditionalist? What's wrong with being the, the guy that says, man, this is what I got? I like what Fugit's been saying recently. I'm not trying to be an innovator. I'm trying to be an imitator. I'm trying to imitate the things that worked in the Word of God. I'm trying to imitate the things that worked for men of God, like whose names I called a minute ago. I'm trying to imitate the work that your pastors have done and that others have done. Hey, that's what I'm trying to do. I mean, don't leave your King James Bible. Don't leave your soul winning. One of the marks of being a fundamentalist, I think, is soul winning. Hey. Evangelical crowd, they talk about sharing. I had a thought, and I looked right before, ten minutes before I walked out here. The word sharing isn't even in the Bible. Not in any form. Now, share is, I think, some. They had shares of different things and so on. But the word sharing with the I-N-G, at least according to my concordance, it seems to work all the time on my iPhone. The word sharing isn't in my King James Bible. And, uh, now, I'm not opposed to sharing. God gives you money, it's good to share it. God gives you food, it's nice to share it. And I'm not opposed to sharing the gospel, but I'm also in favor of soul winning. Say, well, that term, you know, I just kind of, well, you know, it's not, you can't really win them. Oops, you forgot to tell God that when he wrote Proverbs 11.30 and said, He that winneth souls is wise. Say, yeah, but you can't, Brother Jordan, you got to understand, you're not, look, I don't, God's the one who chose the words, I didn't. Nothing wrong with saying that we believe in soul winning, or we're going to go soul winning, we're going to have our soul winning time. I like visitation. And I'm for visitation, we have church visitation here, we have other kinds of things, but, but I'm for soul winning too. Nothing wrong with the word soul winning. At least God didn't think so when he wrote Proverbs 11.30 and said, He that winneth souls is wise. He said, but I, I read this book. I, to be honest with you, I haven't read all the books. I don't read the blogs. I don't, you know. 
You know, both you get Brother Davis on Facebook and Twitter and all that. I, you know, I'm not. I'm glad for them and that they are. I'm not saying you should or shouldn't be, but I, I just, I don't get into all that stuff. But I know it's out there and the idea is, oh, you know, you shouldn't be really talking, promoting soul winning. And what would they think of the Apostle Paul or of the Holy Spirit who told him to write 1 Corinthians 9.22 where he says, you know, I become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Oops. Holy Spirit, you messed up. No, the Holy Spirit didn't mess up there. I'm believing trying to get people saved and getting people saved is simple. I mean, it's not hard. Brother Fugit says often, if you complicate the gospel so that a child can't understand it, you've perverted the gospel. Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. And, uh, you know, now, somebody has to understand to get saved, they have to, but it's not hard to understand. I'm a sinner. I deserve to go to hell. Deserve to be punished for my sin. Christ died to pay for my sin and take that punishment for me. And if I trust in Him, if I call on Him, you will save me. How hard is that to figure out? So, Brother Jordan, you can't just go out on a street corner, hand somebody a tract, and talk to them for ten minutes and have them trust Christ, pray a prayer and fear He's saved. That You can't do it that way. Tell that to Robert Murillo, who got saved on teenage soul winning in Hammond and been serving God for years as a missionary in Mexico. Tell that to Bruce Goddard, who got saved that way in a park as an 18-year-old boy playing basketball. Got one of the great churches in this country. Tell that to Dr. Mike Wells, who was here a couple weeks ago, that got saved at a carnival. Some teenage boy walked up to him, essentially at a carnival, gave him the gospel, trusted Christ. Ten minutes. So it doesn't work that way. Don't try and tell them that. So well, you got to go through hours and hours. Man, you should have told Jesus that before he had Nicodemus saved in John chapter 3. I mean, I, I've tried reading that slowly, but I can't make it last an hour. And maybe he said some things that didn't get recorded. I, you know, probably he did. But there's no way it was an hour. I mean, woman at the well, Philippian jailer. I mean, just go on on through the Bible. Pentecost, they had 3,000 saved and, and baptized in one day. You had 120 soul winners. If you took 12 hours, that's somebody, each soul winner getting somebody saved and baptized every 30 minutes. I mean, they're moving along. So how'd they do it without a three-hour course? I, you know... How hard is it to figure out? I mean, I believe in soul winning. I believe in the Roman road. I believe in, I'm a fundamentalist. Somebody says, well, do you think everybody you pray with on a street corner gets saved? I don't know. They said they did. I can't tell. As far as that goes, I can't tell if any of you are saved. You say you are. I mean, I have no reason to doubt it. But, uh, you know, you, I think of that youth director at Brother Mises Church in Chicago sent us five, six, seven kids through Commonwealth Baptist College. Said, I got saved when I was an 18-year-old boy. I was standing at a park in South Chicago. 
black guy watching the kids play basketball. He said, I had marijuana packets in my socks. I was dealing marijuana. Selling marijuana was the word he used. The old bus came up early 70s from Hiles Anderson College. He said, a little bitty girl got off that bus. Talked to me for 10 minutes, shared the gospel with me, trusted Christ. I got saved. I didn't get right with God then. I messed up my life. It went down and up and so on. But I knew I got saved. And eventually I came. I got down to the Pacific Garden Mission, got back to it. Been serving God as an independent Baptist fundamental youth director now. Lay youth director for years in that good church. I mean, how hard is it? Some say, well, you know, stuff going around now. Well, don't ask anybody to pray. You can't, the prayer is what saves you. I, I don't know, the faith saves you. On the other hand, Romans 10, 9 does say, you know, uh, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, there's, that, that sounds verbal. And Romans 10, 13 says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That sounds kind of like a prayer. I understand that if you just lead somebody in a prayer and they don't understand, they don't know what they're doing, they don't, I mean, that doesn't do any good. I'm in favor of going through and being careful and trying to ask questions and make sure they understand. But I'm in favor of soul winning. I'm in favor of running buses. I'm in favor of, I mean, it's just simple. If you're a teenager here, you ought to be a soul winner. You're a middle-aged person here, you ought to be a soul winner. You're an older person here, you ought to be a soul winner. But in hard. So there's some stuff in the Bible, I don't know. How hard? I mean, get your tract out and read it to the person. It's not hard. It's about the way I started. And I look back and I think, man, I said that at those first few doors and God, you know, how did anybody get saved? But God blessed he said, that young fellow down there is doing the best he knows how. He's got a burden. And people got saved. I mean, I, I just, being a soul winner is part of being a fundamentalist. And uh, going after souls and trying to reach the poor people and all that kind. God, I was talking to Brother Fugit while back and a couple few years ago and I, I'd been sitting on the platform one night and looking out at the auditorium and I, mean, I don't know anybody's balance, bank balance here in the church I, you know, other than mine and sometimes I wonder about it but but you know these the fellas my age and so on we talk and you know they got a condo here and a boat there and they're cruising here and you know and I'm thinking he's a millionaire not necessarily Jared Hatcher but uh He's a millionaire, and he's a millionaire, and he's a, you know, I'm counting half a dozen millionaires sitting here in the church. And I said, well, if you get, it's amazing to me, as much as we emphasize the bus ministry and the poor people, how many millionaires, rich people we got in this church. And he said, well, that's, I mean, he knew his Bible better than me. He said, it's the way it always is. Jesus went to the poor, the rich came to him. You spend your life going after the poor people, God will send you folks to pay your bills. I thought, you know, that's right. He said, you know, one of the reasons those folks come to church here is they like doing like what we're doing with the poor people. They're glad to help finance it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's being a fundamentalist. Going after those folks. I, 
heard one Baptist preacher, pretty well-known Baptist preacher, say one day, well, I mean, I could run more buses, pick up more kids, but, you know, what's the point? And I thought, buddy, if you don't know the answer to that question, why do you call yourself a fundamental Baptist preacher? But anyhow, you're going to be a fundamentalist, yet it's got to involve separation. We're not out to impress the world. Another statement from Brother Fugit, we're out to convert the world. And you're not going to convert them by, by being like them. Now I want to do things first class, and I want to do things right, and I want to do all that kind of stuff. But my goal isn't to be like the world. My goal is to be like Jesus. Brother Davis talked this morning about the Internet and music and dating and one thing, and I'd say amen to every bit of that. Look. My goal in life, your goal, teenager, your goal in life ought to be to fulfill God's purpose for your life. Middle-aged person, sponsor, older person. I mean, I could be drawing Social Security instead of working today. My goal is supposed to be to fulfill God's purpose for my life. Then I ought to set, if my goal is to fulfill God's purpose for my life, I ought to separate from anything that would keep me from fulfilling that purpose. That's simple. Internet, kind of thing he was talking about. Now I got internet and I got a smartphone, I got all that stuff and I, you know, and so on. But, you know, some use of the internet's gonna keep you from fulfilling God's purpose for your life. You marry the wrong guy, the wrong girl, it's going to keep you from fulfilling God's purpose for your life. Talk to folks that, you know, regularly where they, they married the wrong person, the person messed up their life, they can't serve God like they want to. I can still do something, because if you're still breathing, God will use you for something. But they missed out on so much. I mean... Internet, music will keep you from fulfilling God's purpose for your life. Dating the wrong purpose, person will keep you from fulfilling God's purpose for your life. You know, alcohol will keep you from fulfilling God's purpose. Look, if I'm drunk, I'm going to have a hard time witnessing. It just isn't going to work well. I, I can't do you know, I get so tired. I teach a course on biblical separation at the college, and we go through and different separate matter part of the course we spend going through different matters of separation that kind of distinguish us as independent baptists which i wasn't raised that way picked it all up reading my bible and few men of god mostly out of the word of god but uh you know any was I, yeah i was teaching away in there one day I, I said you know look i can't find a bible verse that says i'm not supposed to poke out my eyes None there, but I'm not going to do it because it would hinder my quality of life dramatically and it would make me less able to serve God. Why don't you quit asking yourself, you know, prove to me it's wrong, prove me it's wrong, prove me it's wrong, and say, is this going to help me serve God better? Hey, not drinking alcohol is a lot wrong. You shouldn't even look at it. The Bible says you're not supposed to look at the wine when it bubbles, moves itself right in the cup and so on. But I know beyond that, I know it's going to keep you, it'll ruin your quality of life like poking out your eyes would. Not as quickly, but it will. Why would you want to mess with that? Why would you want to get into that kind of garbage? 
And again, somebody saying nowadays, well, you know, Brother George said, we got to just, as long as they're right on doctrine and dogma, that's all that matters. Look, doctrine and dogma mean, means teaching. The same Bible that teaches me how to be saved teaches me how to live a separated life and stay clear of some kinds of garbage. Say, so, well, you could drink alcohol and go to heaven. Yeah, you could, I guess. Know why you'd want to. But because you could drink it and go to heaven doesn't make it right. David committed adultery and went to heaven, but the adultery wasn't right. David had a man killed and went to heaven, but having a man killed wasn't right. And just because people go to heaven that sin doesn't mean the sin's okay. Or that I want to spend my time fellowshipping with them. The uh, you know, appearance, I want to spend a little bit of time on that. Look, I mean, once you decide I want to look like a Christian. Now, I visited in some, the, some week, different weeks, different areas. My wife and I visit on a bus route just about. I mean, we personally go out and knock doors, knock on doors on bus routes. Just about every week we're in Lexington. Not every week, but just about every Saturday we're in Lexington. We go out and visit on a bus route someplace. We go into some of the, I go in some of the worst areas in Lexington. I've never had anybody offer me dope. Never have. Now they sell it around where I'm going. I guess I must not look like somebody interested in dope. Sometimes I knock on the door and say, oh, you're the preacher. Sometimes they say, oh, I thought you were a lawyer. Sometimes they say, I thought you were a detective. None of those folks get offered dope. Keeps you out of a lot of temptation. Why wouldn't I want to look like a Christian? Never had a woman make an improper proposition to me. Never have. You say, well, Brother George, yeah, I was ugly and old and all that. <laughs> Wasn't always ugly and old. Oh, I look like a Christian. I was reared in Wisconsin during the 1960s. Racine, I mean, we had more snow. You know, this was nothing up there. You know, a group here from the Upper Peninsula, I mean, you know, they, they measure it in feet, not inches up there. But uh, reared in Wisconsin, so I was, I'm a Green Bay Packer fan. Get frustrated with their, you know, playoff. But anyhow. And I don't go, I've been to a few professional football games, not many. They're, they're on Sundays, you know, I don't go. Green Bay was playing Cincinnati a few years ago on a Thursday night, Saturday night, something like that, exhibition game. And so I decided to go. And, uh, I, you know, I've been a Packer fan. Brett Favre was still on the team. I like Brett Favre's, uh, playing and so on. I'm a Brett Favre fan. And, uh, so I went up there. Green Bay's colors are green and gold. I wore everything green and gold I could. I certainly wasn't going to wear anything black or orange and look like a Bengals fan. I want people to know whose side I was on. Why wouldn't I want to look like a Christian? I wanted to look like a Packer fan. Why wouldn't I want to look like a Christian? I wanted to, you know, you get up there and you say, Brother Jorison, you're in the minority here. You're a visiting team away from your homeland. 
You're in a minority. People are not in favor of what you're for here. But I still want to look like. And here on this earth, I'm in a minority. My citizenship's in heaven. I'm away from home. But I don't want to look like the world. I want to look like a Christian. I mean... Bible teaches men ought to have short hair, women ought to have long hair. 1 Corinthians 11, 14, and 15. Remember, Brother Vineyard, somebody says, well, what's short? It's the opposite of long. That's simple. Bible teaches that men ought to wear pants, women ought to wear dresses. I think the Bible, uh, Deuteronomy 22, 5, stuff. You say, well, it's just one verse. Well, just one verse on hair, too. There's one verse on a whole lot of stuff. And you got a principle all through the Bible. Bible doesn't, God doesn't want men and women dressing like each other, looking like each other, changing roles. Somebody says, well, Brother Jordan, back in Bible days, everybody dressed the same. Are you just slow? If, if the verse says, suffer a man not to put on a woman's garments, women not to put on men's garments... They must have had two different sets of garments. Duh. I mean, but if you say, well, there's no exceptions in the Bible that I can find. I haven't found any either. So, Brother George, you're not supposed to preach on women wearing pants anymore. Well, you know, there's one conference where we do once in a while. In some places they tell you, I guess, you know, don't, don't mention that here. You might offend some of the folks that come. Well, I, yeah, I don't know. And maybe you would, but maybe I've offended some of you. I don't know, but that, I do think that's what the Bible teaches. And it's what our position has been historically. I believe the Bible teaches modest dress. First Peter chapter 3, second, first Timothy chapter 3 and verse 9 talks about modest apparel. You ought to dress modestly. Gals, your britches aren't modest. Yeah, you just somebody says, "Well, I can't do this and be mo- and wear a wear a dress or wear culottes." Like it wouldn't be modest if I did. Well, I know I don't any verses commanding you to do that. Somebody says, "Well, I can't be a ballerina and and wear a dress." Well, I don't know any verses commanding you to be a ballerina, but I know of some that tell you not to wear men's clothing and not to be immodest. Dressed like a ballerina, you're not wearing. You're just not wearing much. Why well, just like laying around on the beach in my swimsuit? And uh, you can't do that, you know, in a dress or a shirt and tie or a long sleeve shirt and all that. I mean, that'd be. Well, but the Bible says I'm supposed to be modest. Had a girl in that college class put a sentence in the paper. I am called to be modest. So I must refrain from activity that would cause me to be immodest. That's simple. So, uh, you know, but I enjoy laying on the beach. You know, David probably enjoyed his adultery. Because you enjoy something doesn't make it right. And I'm not saying laying on the beach is the same as committing adultery. But I am saying that because you enjoy something doesn't make it right. No, folks enjoy drinking alcohol. They enjoy all kinds of sin. I mean, there is a pleasure in sin for a season, but it doesn't make it right. Gals, you better be careful. You're trying to attract a guy with skimpy clothes. You're not going to like what you catch. 
And if that's what's drawing him to a woman, there'll be a day when you won't have what you had at 18, 20, 22 years of age. And he'll go find somebody else that has it. You better catch him with the ornament of meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. I thank God for my wife, a rock. Stability. Well, I mean, we're together. You better find somebody who believes like you, has standards like you, wants to serve God like you do. You know, your ministry's over or ruined or hurt an awful lot. She walks out on you. Stay on the wall. Stay on the wall. I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Look, you ought to stay on the wall because it is a great work. You know, Nehemiah said, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Hey, doing God's work is a great work. It's the greatest work in the world. It's a great work because it's an etern- it has eternal results. You serve God and young people. Why don't you decide to give your life to build a wall, to stay on the wall? Why don't you decide to give your life to serve God? I mean, it is a great work because it has great results. You have souls that are saved. They're going to be in heaven forever and ever and ever and ever. They may come next week on a bus. They may not. Their parents may move. You know, who knows? But they get saved. They're saved forever. It has eternal results. It's a great work. It has eternal rewards. It, has, it is a great work. Hey, why are you working for a bonus that's going to get taxed away? Whatever you get here, you're leaving here. I want rewards over there. I'll be able to leave without saying goodbye like the old song says. I want to live. Uh, that's why the things of earth I loosely hold. I have eternal riches better far than gold. Don't hang on so much to what you have here. Worry about God's work is a great work. Give up your, I've always wanted to be a culinary artist. I've always wanted to be a policeman. I've always wanted, why don't you say, God, what do you want me to do? God's work is a great work. And finally, let me say, when you leave God's work, when you leave the wall, you always come down. It's always a step down. Nehemiah said, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. You get out of God's will, you get away from God's work. It's always a step down. God's work is the greatest work in the world. Decide to give your life to it. Decide to be a fundamentalist through your life. An independent, fundamental, soul-winning, separated, King James, Bible-waving fundamentalist. Bus-running, sin-hating fundamentalist. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. That you've given it to us, that we have a copy we can read and hold. The very words of God. Thank you for these young people and adults. Thank you for what you've done in my life. God, I pray, help me, help none of us to come down from the wall. Because it is a great work doing your work. In Jesus' name, amen.